0: Not only will we do quickly see that we're being sold plastic authenticity, but we'll also be P.O.'d about it. Good luck with that. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's populist take on what the powers that be are up to. Find out more at HightowerLowdown.org.
1: And that's it for the Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Hanley Myers. Now it's time for the call-in show Connections. Today, host Liz Lane's show is titled The Sunset of the Patriot Act and the Future of NSA Surveillance. As always on Connections, your calls will be welcome. Stay tuned.
2: Oh, my friends, it's springtime again. Buds are swelling on every limb. The peepers do call, the small birds do sing, and my thoughts return to gardening.
1: If your thoughts are turning to gardening, come on down to KGNU on Sunday, May 31st for our annual plant sale. There will be herbs, flowers, vegetables, trees, starts, and gardening supplies donated by local greenhouses and by community gardeners. Plant donations are now being accepted. You can drop them off at our Boulder Studio, 4700 Walnut Street, with plants marked for identification. See you on May
3: 31st from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at KGNU. Garden. This portion of KGNU programming is supported by you, the KGNU listener member, and by Indra's Net, providing Internet support for KGNU at www.kgnu.org. Talk Talk Show
4: Talk Back
3: Talk Radio
5: Talk Your Talk
3: Walk Your Talk
5: KGNU Talk
3: Call In
5: Call
0: In and Talk
1: Call In and Connect
0: Connections
1: Friday Mornings at 8:30
4: on KGNU
1: Good morning and welcome to Connections for this Friday, May 29th, 2015. I'm your host this morning, Liz Lane. This coming Monday, June 1st, key provisions of the Patriot Act will expire, and unless Congress acts to reauthorize the controversial legislation, the government's statutory authority to survey, collect, and store the personal emails, phone calls, and other communications of citizens will also sunset. At least the legal authority to do such things will sunset. The particular section of the P- Patriot Act, which authorized the vast collection of into the everyday of the everyday communications of U.S. citizens is Section 215, and it has been the subject of a recent appellate decision which held that the activities secretly interpreted to be authorized by Section 215 are, in fact, illegal. The drama surrounding this coming Monday's deadline was heightened when Senators Ron Wyden and Rand Paul recently staged a filibuster of the renewal to next week when Congress was supposed to be in recess. Leader Mitch McConnell has recalled the Senate uh, to convene on Sunday, May 31st, to consider the authorization. Many who have come forward since Edward Snowden's 2013 revelations of the scope of the NSA's domestic surveillance program caution that even if the Patriot Act does, in fact, sunset, the NSA and other intelligence agencies are confident that they can establish authority to continue to mine and gather citizens' phone and email data regardless. My guest this morning has written a white paper using, among other tools, social network analysis software to try to determine who or what organizations or combination thereof is behind the NSA's surveillance program and what do they stand to gain by its continuation. Ken Roberts is a writer, teacher, and IT professional. He has recently put out a white paper researching the overlapping social, geographic, and economic interests of a certain group of U.S. corporations, government agencies, and business associations to try to answer the intriguing question – Who specifically is behind the NSA mass surveillance program? And I'm very pleased to welcome Ken Roberts in studio to KGNU. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Liz. Thanks for having me on.
1: Oh, thanks for being here. So let's just begin at the beginning. How did you get started on this massive research project?
0: (laughs) Well, it was massive, Uh, you know, and I never really intended to undertake anything, uh, you know, on this uh, of this magnitude, but uh when i hear uh, about something like this nsa mass surveillance program i'm 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 not constructed to just sort of absorb the story passively i'm i'm led to wonder uh, how does something like this get authorized how does it get funded who wants it and um in trying to understand the story what i very quickly discovered was that nobody in the media was really asking the questions that i was asking myself and so Um, You know, I kind of honed in my repertorial instincts uh, as the editor-in-chief of a Central Florida newspaper many years ago. And I knew how to go about digging into issues like this. And then as an IT professional, I also became aware of uh, a type of software that was designed to, to sort of help answer this very kind of question. It's called social network analysis software. And so I decided to try and answer these questions for myself. Uh, It struck me as being a scary kind of a program, and I wanted to know who was it that was actually wanting to have this program come into existence, and who was it that was sheltering it, because uh, it existed for a number of years before it came to light, and we wouldn't know about it even now were it not for people like Benny and Snowden. Uh, It would still be an operation, and it would still be secret. Um, So that's kind of how it it came about. I I was trying to answer these questions for my own satisfaction. And then as I began to dig into it, uh, I became more and more alarmed as I began to see who it was that I believe was most centrally implicated. Uh, And that's the point at which I realized I really need to uh, organize all these insights that I've gleaned uh, on the basis of my research and and try to get this out uh, to the public uh, because S- uh, Snowden started the ball rolling, but there's there's the second piece of it around these questions I you know I was asking myself that has sort of uh, it, it's the other it's the part of the iceberg that's below the tip that's right. all at the surface. So that's kind of how it all started.
1: So when we were speaking earlier in the week about this, and you shared that one of the tools you used was this uh, social network analysis software. And then as I dug deeper into what actually this metadata that is being vacuumed up, this enormous amount, and just to give our listeners a sense of it, um, you mentioned a, a man named Binney. Um, William Binney uh, was one of the highest level uh, whistleblowers to ever emerge from the NSA. Um, He was a mathematician. He was a codebreaker during the Cold War. And uh, he resigned uh, from the NSA after September 11th. Last July, he spoke at a conference in London that the Center for Investigative Journalism had organized. And uh, he, uh, well, he goes very far. He says the ultimate goal of this program is, quote, total population control. So, I mean, that, that's a, a, a massive charge and, and uh, something that certainly, if, if true or even partially true, we need to get behind. But uh, he, uh, in terms of the amount of information, uh, according to Benny, the NSA will soon be able to cl- collect 966 exabytes a year, which is the total of all Internet traffic annually currently. And uh, just to put that number in context, um, uh, former Google uh, CEO Eric Schmidt um, once stated that the entire amount of knowledge from the beginning of humankind until 2003 (laughs) amounted to only five exabytes, (laughs) but the NSA can gather 961 more of those. So, you know, that is just a mind-bending number there. So can you put some of that in context for us?
0: Well... The real question I think every American citizen should be asking themselves is, why does the NSA need this volume of data? What What is the rationale, the underlying rationale for collecting this much information? Now, what's been laid in front of us um, is, is basically this concept of domestic terrorism. Um, and, and so the notion is that somehow... Domestic terrorism is a, an issue of such alarming proportions that the government really needs to know everything about everybody at, at all times. At all
1: times, forever. Uh, forever. In perpetuity. A, right. in, in
0: perpetuity. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a flimsy rationale. I mean, there's, there's nothing going on, including the events uh, of 9-11, that justifies uh, a data collection uh, exercise uh, on, on that scale, uh, that's, that's the disconnect, uh, and that's the thing, that's the part that's so alarming about this, this whole thing. There's this massive, hugely expensive, and secret program, again, this would still be secret, you know, we're, we're not for people like Benny uh, and, and Snowden, um, going on with, with this flimsy rationale up front of domestic terrorism.
1: So, what if domestic terrorism isn't really what we're being told it is? That it's not um, radicalizing people uh, toward uh, Islamic fundamentalism, or or luring people out of, or or you know having people leave the United States to go train with ISIL and then come back? What if what if for those that are behind the NSA surveillance program and are um, interested? What if domestic terrorism is something more like Occupy Wall Street? What if domestic terrorism is something that is a threat to capitalism, right? That if that is their interpretation of really what domestic terrorism might be, wouldn't that justify this need to get, especially getting to your conclusion that we have organizations like the U.S. Chamber of Com- Commerce, the Business Roundtable, which is comprised of the CEOs of some of the you know top 25 corporations, if if they if we know that the NSA surveillance program has not um, thwarted uh, any attacks and has has provided very little guidance in the way of what we're being told domestic terrorism is. Perhaps what they're really trying to avoid here or prevent or get ahead of are efforts by the citizens of the United States, 99% of them who are uh, making wages that were uh, in place 35 years ago have no opportunity. You know, maybe that's what this is all about—is trying to keep citizens uh, where they are and to keep the uh, the instruments of of our economic system, which all favors uh, the one percent. That really all just keeps the Wall Street's wheels greased. What if that's what they're really, in fact, trying to to gather?
0: Well, what if it is? I mean. You know, if if you don't feel persuaded that domestic terrorism is is a burning issue of the well, day, well, how can we be when
1: there isn't any that we can see that this program has revealed any plot or thwarted any plot that they can that even they have been hard pressed to to defend, right?
0: I I, I agree, of course. Uh, so the the question then does get to be the, one, the very one that you've raised: if if that is not in fact the rationale for this mass surveillance program. What is what is the rationale? Who wants it and why do they want it? So um, as evidence uh, of, of the kind of thing that you were talking about, um, one of the things that I noticed was that um, we had this sort of spontaneous social movement called Occupy Wall Street. And, um, you know, as, as your listeners are probably aware, um, they kind of did Occupy Wall Street. And they really brought to light a sort of compelling narrative about uh, the 99% versus what they called the 1%. It probably is in actuality more like the one-tenth of 1%. Right. But, um And so in the wake of the initial movement, which was sort of centered in, in New York, it spread almost spontaneously to any number of other cities. And,
1: including Denver?
0: Including Denver. Um, And it was policed. Um, You know, you could you could sort of sense that the powers that be were alarmed by this movement, in, in particular the events that you know took place on you know in the vicinity of Wall Street. The official narrative around that, and this was the official narrative of the Obama administration, was that it was up to the police forces of each local sort of constabulary to determine how to uh, address um, the policing of uh, Occupy Wall Street protesters. But um, uh, there is an organization called the PCJF, uh, and I've forgotten what that acronym is for at the moment, but uh, they're basically a civil liberties organization. Partnership for
1: Civil Justice Fund. Thank you, Liz. Right out of your white paper. Yeah,
0: thank you very much. Uh, there's so much alphabet soup. I, I, I
1: There's a lot some, of acronyms to see on are, top yes. of. There really are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there are quite a few. Uh, so this organization essentially um, tried to obtain documents uh, pertaining to the policing of Occupy Wall Street. And what they found out was that, uh, in fact, the official uh, narrative of the Obama administration was false. That, in fact, um, the policing of the protests in all of the cities was coordinated between the FBIC, uh, I'm sorry, the FBI, and uh, another virtually unknown organization that was originally put together by the Bush administration called the DSAC. Um,
1: Which stands for the Domestic Security Alliance Council. (laughs) Yes. Sounds so functional and official, doesn't it? It it does. It's an alliance, it's domestic, and it's a council. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: all of those things, certainly. Um, But,
1: but, you know, who is it? Who started it? Who's on it? You, You know that now, so...
0: Right, right. Well... I mean and it was
1: designed to was it designed specifically in response to the Occupy uh, movement
0: no it was not it was in existence before Occupy Wall Street ever came into existence um, the Bush Bush administration put it together um, initially and again the the notion was there's this um, threat to in particular to the you know sort of cyber security of of the United States, and so um, there was supposed to be this public-private partnership um, taking place between the, the the private sector, the you know the CEOs of um, large corporations, and the government, and they were going to coordinate to make sure that um, domestic terrorism and other sorts of terrorism uh, didn't impact uh, the infrastructure of the United States. So that was the that was the rationale. Uh, behind the institution of this organization. What the PCJF found out, however, was that um, in the events of Occupy Wall Street that this apparatus was called into effect for the first time, as far as I know, um, uh, around policing uh, the protesters. And um, the um, FBI was essentially placed at the beck and call of of the DSAC, and and so, uh, one of the things that I wanted to know was, well, who are these people, and, and why were they given this oversight role, and um, why was the FBI coordinating with this private uh, SEC organization, and, and who in particular were they? And and so, um, you know, I, I looked into that, and one of the things that I found out was that, um, you know, there's something called the the leadership, um, leadership council of, of the DSAC. And when I looked into who these folks were, um, they, they turned out to be uh, affiliated with other organizations. Uh, in particular, two-thirds of them were affiliated with an organization called the Business Roundtable. Right. Now, the Business Roundtable is the most politically influential group that you've never heard of. Um, they are comprised of the CEOs of... Um, nearly every major transnational corporation. Um, to give you an example, uh, 3M, American Express, Bank of America. Citibank. Uh, Citibank, uh, Cigna, Coca-Cola, uh, FedEx.
1: DuPont, DuPont. General Electric, of course, of which owns NBC. Correct. Uh, and he is a huge, one of the huge uh, media conglomerates.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: MasterCard, Merck. Yes. Time Warner, another one. So two of the yes. four. Yes, And Walmart.
0: Yes, all of those and, and, and more. Uh, were members of both the DSAC and the Business Roundtable. Now, this is a very peculiar situation because what you really have there is a front organization. The DSAC looks like it's some sort of random association of large corporations that are concerned about cybersecurity, cyber but in fact, two-thirds of the Leadership Council actually is the Business Roundtable. And the Business Roundtable... Um, is concerned
1: with business interests and nothing are, more, really, indeed. and advancing them politically.
0: Indeed, that's precisely what their mission is. their Their mission is the advancement of business interests politically. Um, and so let me just—I
1: I want to pause there and, yes. and really emphasize that point. Yes. that that the. The, the coordination of the policing and management of the Occupy Wall Street protesters was coordinated with the FBI and an organization, the Domestic Security Alliance Council, which is actually a business and uh, corporate organization that yes. has nothing to do with uh, law enforcement, no. security, no. Uh, none of those things. And yet, as you point out in your white paper, the, the media focusing on the interaction between the police, or, er, er, yeah, between police and protesters, Occupy Wall Street protesters, focused on the FBI entirely. And, and this uh, marriage, if you will, between the DSAC, this coordination between the FBI and the DSAC was not picked up by the media at all, except for by The Guardian and Democracy Now!
0: The Guardian Democracy Now! reported on it, which is the only reason we know about it. Yeah. Um, but the, the, what we might call the corporate media omitted it completely. And, and bear in mind, again, um, you know, sitting on the, this leadership council were uh, Time Warner and... Um, General, and, and Electric. General Electric, which again is the you know the parent organization of NBC, so um, this already looked smelly to me. This looked like collusion between the media and the and this, which are members of this you know uh, business roundtable, which is a you know business pressure group, you know somewhat similar to the the um, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So this is this strikes me as peculiar. Uh, But on further examination of this nexus, um, I also determined that half of the members uh, of the DSAC were further coordinating with something called the Council on Foreign Relations, um, which is virtually synonymous um, with both the Bush administration and the Obama administration – so
1: in terms of um, an organization that they routinely reach out to for advice and counsel on all matters
0: on everything on everything yeah the 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 staffing of the executive branch uh, under both Bush and Obama um, is almost exclusively a matter of alumni of the Council on Foreign Relations so uh, and I uh, and I might mention that, as far as I know, this is the first time that in, you know in public media this connection has been noted and placed on record. Uh, and I don't think it's a trivial uh, relationship. It, this this is ominous because you have this marriage of the law enforcement apparatus, i.e., the the FBI. Um, with this private or front organization, the DSAC, which turns out to actually be the Business Roundtable, which is joined at the hip with the Council on Foreign Relations, which is joined at the hip with the executive branch, this is this is very ominous. The, it, it, you know, the significance of this can hardly be overstated, in my opinion.
1: Let me just pause here and remind our listeners: if you've just joined us, you are listening to the Connections program on KGNU. Boulder, Denver. I'm Liz Lane, your host this morning, and I'm thrilled to have in studio with me Ken Roberts. He's a IT professional, a writer, a teacher, a former newspaper editor, and uh, he has uh, put out a white paper entitled, Who Specifically is Behind the NSA Mass Surveillance Program? And if you have a comment or a question, uh, please give us a call, 303 442 4242 is the number. And I just also want to note that I am particularly happy to bring this up on this Friday as we go into a weekend where we're having an emergency sort of call in of all uh, the, the Congress to come in on Sunday to, to perhaps uh, reauthorize, but certainly discuss the Patriot Act. But I'm, I'm really uh, proud and pleased of KGNU to give Ken Roberts an opportunity to talk about this white paper. He notes this has not been. Uh, disseminated in the media previously, and uh, and it is, in fact, the mission of KGNU to provide space and time on the airwaves for uh, information of consequence that listeners might not get anywhere else. So it's, it's a real pleasure to have you here, Ken. And again, if you've just joined us, we are talking about national surveillance, the uh, reauthorization of Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which will expire on Monday. And I'm happy to have your comments or questions. Um, so, so you, you know, you said that around every initiative that's focused on increasing corporate rights and profits at the expense of individuals, or limiting government, limiting government assistance, or decreasing health and safety regulations, or quashing progressive legislation that, or social programs that might help women, children, and families. Everywhere you look in in preventing those things from happening, you Ken Roberts have found as you say the same bad pennies uh, keep popping up around that. So who are the groups or individuals? I, I want to get further into the business roundtable, um, what their agenda is, uh, some of the actual individuals. There is, I guess, a, a continuum of these. It's it's the corporations that are the members, and of course the CEOs uh, come and go, but those. Corporations themselves form the Business Roundtable. That's a, it's a very exclusive group, and it's also it, its membership hasn't changed in in many many decades, right?
0: It's grown, yeah. Uh, but but the, the certainly the core membership has not changed. Um, well, the you know there there's a bit of a long history here. A lot of people have. Traced a good part of this to a memorandum put out by, I believe his name is Lewis Powell.
1: Yes, former Um, uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Or he wasn't Chief, he was Justice of the Supreme Court, right?
0: Justice of the Supreme Court, correct. Um, uh, He put out a memorandum sort of in the wake of the social unrest of the 60s. Uh, He authored this thing, I believe, in 1971 at the behest of the um, United States Chamber of Commerce. And um, basically what it said was if the business community doesn't get its act together, um, all these groups organized on behalf of the good of most Citizens. Americans <laughs> are going to have their way. And what could be more alarming than that? Right. What could uh, be more
1: alarming than tying minimum <laughs> wage to the inflation rate or to have uh, safety and health regulations in, uh, in businesses or environmental protections?
0: Indeed, from a business perspective, what could be more alarming? Um, and, and so, uh, his wake-up call was was well heated uh, in 1972. Let's see, yeah, in 1972, uh, the Business Roundtable was established. In 1973, Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, I believe it is, yep, uh, was founded. And then in 1978, the Manhattan Institute. Um, which is the one that's responsible for all this alarmism uh, around domestic uh, terrorism uh, was founded. Um, so um,
1: and Washington became awash with money and lobbyists. It uh, did what, fifteen for or is it one hundred and fifty for every member of Congress? I think currently registered in D.C.
0: Something that, something on that order of magnitude, correct? Yeah uh and of course uh, you know citizens voices are are lost when when we have this overwhelming uh preponderance of of corporate interests so so um you know uh they should business interests should certainly be giving you know Powell a retrospective you know business nobel because um it was a game changer it, it was definitely a game changer um of course it wasn't the only thing there was you know an older apparatus um Primarily centered on the on the Council of Foreign Relations, and, and and so what really seems to have happened is is that after this um, sort of flurry of organization building in the wake of the Powell memorandum, uh, the you know the CFR and and this sort of newer energy around the Powell memorandum, they sort of rediscovered each other and got married apparently. Uh, the details of how that came about, um, I can't relate to you because I haven't researched that yet, but indeed it did happen, we know, because of this marriage that I uncovered between the, the BR uh, and the CFR. Um,
1: so I want to pause there. We have a couple of people waiting to ask some questions, so sure. let's see where that goes. Hi, Gene. you are on the air
2: uh, good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I, I'm glad uh, the guest uh, mentioned the 60s, but it started even earlier than that. We know Hoover uh, was keeping files on everybody that uh, uh, was joining any kind of uh, social uh, uh, political movement that my um, had to do with uh, rebelling against the system so to speak even the founding fathers uh you uh, were worried about uh, uh the people revolting uh, against the landowners etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, i remember in uh, in the 80s i was reading about Pointexter even in Time magazine, that he was putting together networks of telecommunications and uh, computers to gather and store data about everybody and everything that was happening in the country, especially people that uh, had... uh, protesting to do against what the Reagan administration was doing. And if we know and agree that corporate America is, to a great degree, controlling the the government and uh, the law enforcement institutions, uh, then... uh, We know, actually, uh, this started way, way before the Patriot Act. And even if the Patriot Act goes away, uh, we'll pop up uh, back again in some other form with some other catchy name.
0: Well, Uh, that's... Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, uh, that, that certainly is true. I mean, um, and, and you didn't mention Cohen-Talpro, which was uh, probably the, the best-known and most grievous of, of the various initiatives to, you know, quash uh, domestic protest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely it's the case. But, you know, it, it's, it's part of... There's always been this tension between the haves and the have-nots, um, going back to the dawn of civilization
2: itself. I mean, you, you had... Um, and against well, of blacks, against the Chinese, against the Japanese, uh, uh, against um, all the workers, so uh, Chavez, etc.
1: Do you have a Do you have a question, or, or you know? I appreciate your comments, no, of course. But
2: right, it was just a comment. I mean, is uh, the beginning of time, uh, as was said. <laughs> it, it has to do with. Uh, Uh, the ruling class protecting itself from uh, the plebeian uh, class.
1: Thanks so much for the call, Gene, as always. Thank you. Take care. It is 9 o'clock. You are listening to KGNU Boulder, Denver 88.5 FM and 1390 AM with translator K229AC in Netherland, Colorado at 93.7 megahertz. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Connections Program on KGNU Boulder, Denver. My guest this morning is Ken Roberts. He's an uh, IT professional, a writer, a teacher, former newspaper editor, and he's written a white paper that uh, seeks to ask a very important question, uh, which is who is behind the NSA Mass Surveillance Program? The number is 303 and we have Bob on the line, so let's get with Bob. Hi, Bob. Good morning.
5: Good morning. Uh, uh, thank you. I just wanted to say, yeah, the person before me gave a good synopsis of, uh, of the whole world order. But uh, what I want to say is, what do we go from here? It's, it's not a democracy now anymore. This country is a, is a big falsehood yeah, about that's... saying It's democracy. It's not democracy. It's, it's a plutocracy. And they should come to the... Uh, everybody know... That this country is now run by big, uh, well, greed, I'd say, and greed is an evil. And I think the devil has taken over as far as the, putting a quotation on that. And uh, what do we go from here? Let me
4: ask him. Uh,
1: that's great. You know, that's a great question. What? And in fact, uh, I, my guest, Ken Roberts' conclusion in his white paper is exactly what you say that American democracy is in extraordinary peril.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, yep. I, I agree. I think it's in the greatest peril that it's ever been in. We, we, you know, we've we've never we've faced threats from without um, that we're all familiar with, right? Uh, you know, World War II and, and so forth. But this is this is a far more grave peril because it's it's wrapped itself around the entire apparatus of democracy itself, and that's when you're really in trouble. I mean, you know, countries do a pretty good job of defending themselves against external threats, but they've always done a far poorer job of defending themselves from internal threats. And uh, this is the gravest internal threat, in my opinion, that the United States has ever faced. Now, in terms of what we do, I, I think um, I think we can take a note, first of all, from the um, Powell memorandum itself. What he called for was increased organization um, around uh, the monitoring of the media, for example. He called for think tanks. He called for um, getting the message out to the media Um, those are things that um, we need um, an organized domestic response to and the equivalent of um, in order to fight fire with fire. Um, So that's sort of one thread of it. Then we have an especially good um, example of how to deal with this type of organization In the form of the group that got together to expose um, this organization, Alec uh, A L E C American Legislative Exchange Council. Now this thing was formed in um, you said seventy three, yeah. Um, And you know it 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 operated in secrecy, in in effect, um, and one has to assume with full knowledge of, of the corporate media for many, many years it was only exposed uh, something like two years ago. And it was uh, a very small group of um, citizen activists who um, drew the activities of this uh, organization to the attention of of the public. And of course, what they're up to is they basically are writing legislation for primarily Republican uh, candidates to then take and literally transcribe into state law. And it's all stuff that Basically, uh, is you know, looks, you know, takes care of the of the interests of uh, various business interests.
1: Well, but in addition, it's been very successful <coughs> at the state level yes. at limiting access to abortion and reproductive health for women around the country. That is, they have been extremely successful at that as well.
0: Indeed, well, they've been an extremely successful organization across the board. What they and as you as you rightly noted, they they sort of you know just as the see, they're sort of. They ALEC is to state legislatures what the CFR is to the executive branch. They've penetrated yeah. it and they've been very successful in advancing its agenda. But the thing about these folks is their, their agenda doesn't never can stand much scrutiny. That's why they want to operate in, in secret all the time. That's why you've never heard of the Business Roundtable. It's because their agenda is, is so atrocious. I mean, 300 million Americans don't want what the Business Roundtable wants. <laughs> Um, you know, 500 executives and bankers do. Um, and so they just can't stand exposure. And so uh, when this small, very small, very poorly funded group of, you know, uh, citizen activists got together and started saying, hey, look at what Alec is, is up to, uh, the, the group began to wilt. It's, you know, its, its funders began to melt away. They still are in the process of doing that. Of course, something else will eventually show up again. But you know, there, there has to be constant um, alertness on the part of just ordinary citizens like, you know, like our listeners to what's going on. And there has to be a response to to these kinds of organizations. And as I said, this, you know, the citizens organization gives us a very good best practices example of what it is that can and even has been done already.
1: That's so interesting that that. Upon shining the sun, the light into these organizations, that alone—it's like a vampire. They, you know, they—they cannot function any. They cannot function in the sunshine anymore. So they have to sort of uh, fold or regroup or emerge somewhere else. Although, as you note, they are so uh, wrapped up in all of the. Instruments of government, and then of course the funding as well. That uh, it's of course also like a hydra, just multiple multiple arms waving around. Three zero three four four two four two four two is the number if you have a comment or a question for Ken Roberts. He's written an intriguing white paper called "Who Specifically Is Behind the NSA Mass Surveillance Program." Um, Ken, let me ask you. Um, you, one of the um, more startling, and there are many startling revelations in your white paper, but um, following the thread and the conclusion that you feel is, is uh, pretty hard to avoid is that perhaps uh, the NSA's mass surveillance program, it might actually be for the Business Roundtable to provide that data to organizations like the Business Roundtable, but you you note that even there's even been legislation introduced um, in uh, going back to two thousand eleven. It's been reintroduced; it has not yet been passed. But it's a stunning bill that would actually give the CEOs of the Business Roundtable privileged and secret access to NSA intelligence. So it would actually codify into law. What apparently is going on behind the scenes, anyway, talk about that, if you will, and and the those that have defeated that legislation, how they've done that, and why it keeps cropping up again
0: sure. well, th- this is absolutely staggering. there There has been um, well, first of all, let me talk about the legislation itself. Um, it It is desired by the business Roundtable. You can see editorializing on behalf of this legislation at the business roundtable website.
1: What is the justification? The justification
0: is is again this notion of you know c- cyber terrorism, uh, cybersecurity. Um, this is the, the nominal justification for the for this legislation. The Legislation, by the way, is called CISPA, more alphabet soup, C I S P A. Um, and for his part, uh, you know Barack Obama has said that we need to have this you know a public private. This is public private. In another era, it would have been called fascist because that's what fascism is. It's it's when the government is in business with – in bed with big business. Right. Um, so Barack Obama has called for a public-private partnership that um, – around apparently CISPA. It uh, seems to be what he has in mind when he speaks of these things. Um, CISPA legislation was initially introduced by um, a guy by the name of Mike Rogers. He's a representative in Michigan. He's not going to run again, by the way, because he's in the revolving Washington revolving door. So uh, he's he's going to end up he's going to end up working for you know, various the business roundtable, <laughs> yeah, and in particular the the wing of it that's involved in guess what uh, security and intelligence. Um, so he's the one who introduced. This is just incredible. It it just blows my mind, and I've been thinking about this stuff for a while. Uh, He's the one who introduced this CISPA legislation that would give, um, that would create this conduit between the NSA um, and the Business Roundtable. Um, And and so the the legislation was alarming. It it struck many people as alarming. The organizations like the uh, Electronic Freedom Forum, I, I believe, the EFF um they organized an opposition to it they brought it to light they pointed out what a bad idea it was the legislation was defeated um it was no, no sooner defeated than the business round table uh and the others who wanted it um got the in- legislation reintroduced and and here recently it's been reintroduced yet again this time by a democrat uh, i forget this guy's name something like Ruppersberger um uh, it, it won't go away, and it, it's odd that that there should be such persistence around this legislation. If the only concern is is cybersecurity, because after all, where I work, we have cyber cybersecurity concerns, and we aren't partnering with the government um, <laughs> to try to deal with it. Um, it, it. It's just a matter of having best practices in place and and knowing what your threats are and uh, employing the relevant technologies. You do not need to have a relationship with the NSA in order to accomplish those things it's almost you know the claim is absurd uh, speaking as an IT professional uh, it's ridiculous i don't, i don't need you know my the the organization that i work for does not need to have a, a relationship with the NSA in order to prevent um hacking for example so um again there's this huge disparity between the rationale for for this legislation and 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 sort of real world realities there's there's a, this massive disconnect so Uh, If the NSA wasn't collecting this this information specifically for the business roundtable, then certainly the business roundtable has jumped with both feet on the existence of this information.
1: Um the Electronic Frontier Foundation is the organization that actually uh, often files yes. briefs and, and provides uh resources and you can find out more about them at uh, eff.org it's a they it's uh Electronic Frontier Foundation defending your rights in the digital world and they um have a piece yesterday and and today on Monday's expiration of article 215 um can talk a little bit about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, because even though that it seems to be an unrelated uh, affront to um, what citizens want, it's in fact quite related to, to this mass surveillance program and to the business roundtable and to the, um, the flood of money in Washington. So connect all of those dots for us, because that, of course, is front and center um, currently right now.
0: It is. Well, okay, so th- this gets a bit complex, so uh, you don't have to ask your listeners to bear with me a little bit while I lay this out, and I'll, I'll try to do it in, in some sort of uh, fairly coherent order. So the Trans-Pacific Partnership is, is of a, sort of constructed out of the same cloth as NAFTA, which your uh, listeners have probably heard of. Um, it's desired primarily by the United States Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable. Um, on the face of it, what it is, is a trade accord uh, of a peace with NAFTA. However, a lot with of... Asia. Yeah, with Asia. With yeah. Asia. Um, and, you know, it was negotiated entirely in secret, um, which already makes it smell extremely bad. I mean, there, there's, there's nothing... There shouldn't be anything that needs to be kept um, completely secret, both from the public and from Congress. Even congressmen were not advised of the content of this thing. And most of them have not seen the content of it up to this point. So, as I say, nominally what it is is a trade accord, but it has it was some of this was leaked to WikiLeaks, um, the Julian Assange um, organization. And what we know from those leaks is that there's something called investors. There's something called an investor-state dispute, um, piece, uh, which basically. Uh, it's a little bit complex to describe, but what it, what it's intended to do is is to ensure that businesses uh, will be able to take the governments of every member um, country to a sort of court. Uh, it's not really a court because there are no judges and nobody was elected, and and it's all comprised of corporate attorneys. But it can take.
1: There's a cause of action. It it provides a cause of action yes. for members of the treaty yes. to challenge legislation that minimizes what the maximum profit might have been.
0: Exactly. And, and so anyone, any corporation can mount a challenge to any law of any member country uh, to any domestic um, legislation that they deem somehow obstructive of their profits.
1: And Which could include uh, banning a certain use of a certain chemical or a certain methodology or uh, any regulation, any health and safety regulation potentially, right?
0: Any regulation whatsoever right. that they deem uh, an obstacle to, to corporate profits.
1: And every regulation costs money to comply with. So tipi- so theoretically, any regulation would be subject to challenge and remuneration for the challenging corporation Indeed. if they win.
0: Yeah and and the thing about this is there there's nothing transparent about this tribunal that rules on these things and there's nothing democratic about it it, it is not uh anything that uh, even the governments themselves uh have organized so
1: and is it the case that the fast-track authority that the president has been pushing for and others have been pushing against would actually have this complex, uh, sort of you know nuanced, although very significant provision, this would be an example of something that would not be pulled out and debated separately. It would just be, it would be like an omnibus bill that just goes right through.
0: Yes, the intent of the fast-track authority is, is for this legislation to receive what they call a straight-up-and-down yeah. vote. Uh, it's either passed in its entirety or it's not.
1: We have a bunch of people waiting to talk, so let me get to that. Uh, we have Deborah in Denver. Hi, Deborah. You're on the air. No, Mark, but um, Kenneth,
4: uh, like, you
5: know, like you're just an independent citizen who is just so smart and skilled. I mean, it's just amazing to me that you're able to do this, and you're not getting paid to do this.
0: That's, what, that's impressive. <laughs> amazing. Uh, thank you. Me. No, I'm certainly not being paid for it. <laughs> Uh, somebody doesn't like me doing it, by the way, because I've gotten all kinds of anonymous phone calls, and I, I won't go into it. But somebody uh, is you're upset just an with
4: independent me.
5: citizen like you or me. I mean, like all of us,
0: you're just independent personally. Just, Indeed.
1: Wow. Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to worry about your safety, Ken. But I'm happy that others are paying attention. People that, you know, if no one was uh, upset about it, then perhaps there wouldn't be any uh, truth to it,
0: right? <laughs> Possibly. Uh,
1: thanks, Deborah. Thank you. And uh, Martin, next. Okay, we have uh, Martin and another caller. I think they've dropped off. They might be coming back, so we will uh, put you on when that happens. Um, coming up on 917, you're listening to Connections on KGNU Boulder, Denver. Ken Roberts is in studio with me. He's w- written a white paper called Who Specifically is Behind the NSA Mass Surveillance Program. Um, where can people get their hands on a copy of this? Um, I will uh, post it on KGNU's news site, kennews.kgnu.org. But um, you mentioned you've distributed it to certain select organizations that you thought would be receptive, Project Censored, AdBusters, and a few others. Uh, where can listeners uh, find out more about it or read it uh, in its entirety?
0: Well, none of them have posted the, the white paper, but um, although I have had some response back from you know people like Peter Phillips of Project Censored, but... Um, you know, I I kind of thought that this question might be raised, so I I just yesterday started a meetup group called the Task Force on Democratic Sovereignty, uh, and I posted the document there so the people could get their hands on it. So that's a meetup group, um, and the name of the meetup is Task Force on Democratic Sovereignty, and that's there. Um, another related document by Peter Phillips himself called the. Uh, it's an examination of something called the. He calls the Global Domination Group, which includes many of these same businessmen. Uh, I've also posted that there, and you can also read about the Powell Memorandum. Uh, all all three of those are at this meetup uh, task force on democratic sovereignty.
1: Looking, uh, looking ahead, um, uh, Julian Assange, actually, of WikiLeaks was um, interviewed uh, just this week on Democracy Now!, and, and she did ask... Uh, Julian about the sunset of 215 of the Patriot Act and and he noted, well, it's irrelevant, those that are gathering this information, the NSA will find some other means about it. But this recent second circuit uh, court decision might be somewhat problematic. I mean, that court uh, deemed 215 as an uh, as illegal, as unlawful. So unpack that a little bit for us. I, I know that the administration has acknowledged that, but, but again, how can we have the executive branch going forward with a program and activity that has been deemed unlawful, by an appellate court uh in in the second circuit going are they gonna just simply wait for it to go up to the supreme court and continue business as usual until that or why wasn't that second court uh decision more of um, more influential or do you think it might have been um helpful for those who would have uh, staged the filibuster because it you know it, it provided uh some legal backing and and perhaps uh, the um, Support of of American people who follow the, what the courts do, who look to the judicial branch as a check on what the executive and and the legislative branches are doing.
0: Well, I, sh- I should probably say a little bit about this Section Two Fifteen of the of the Patriot Act uh, as background to the answer to your question. Um, this this section of the Patriot Act is what the NSA has been pointing to as a rationale for the existence of of the mass. Surveillance program. Their 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 notion is that they were granted authority to conduct this thing. It, it's I should say it's patently false because there's explicit language in the Constitution that says you cannot um, go after people's personal information without probable cause. And this is a, a mass surveillance program that sucks in everything. So there's no question about the unconstitutionality of it.
1: And the but, Supreme Court has actually acknowledged that one's cell phone <clears> is an extension of one's person and has so much information in it that just like a person's house used to be the location of their papers and other personal documents, that is an extension of the person that requires a warrant. So there's been some help from the Supreme Court on that.
0: Some. I mean, it's unfortunate that there's no specific mention of privacy in, in the Constitution. Uh, and that's, you know, we, we have... We've sort of, we're in a technological era that's gone well past anything our forefathers oh, really, yeah. really saw. But, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Um, but um, what's a little bit disappointing about the Second Circuit Court's decision was they ruled that it was a very tortured interpretation of Section 215 on, on the part of the NSA. And that's why um, the program is illegal. And, and it was a three-judge three panel, by the way. This is not the decision of a single judge, but by three judges. Mm -hmm. Um, But disappointingly, they didn't rule on the constitutionality of Section 215 or on the mass surveillance program. So it was not um, as... as, Clear. Yeah, it was not as forceful a decision as it might have been, because had they ruled that, in fact, it was unconstitutional, again, as it clearly is, there's no doubt about it at all... Uh, It would have been a a more forceful assertion of, um, you know, citizens' rights against the NSA. Um, What will happen going forward is is unclear. I mean, we're going to know in just the next few days uh, who's going to prevail um, in Congress um, with respect to this um, surveillance program. And, you know, you have... You don't have as many people speaking forthrightly on behalf of citizen interests as we might. I mean, we have um, the Mitch McConnell wing, which basically wanted to just rubber stamp um, the authority for uh, the program. Two more years. Yeah. And then you had another wing, which also wrote a very disappointing and weak uh, amendment, which actually would have been almost worse than, than just rubber stamping the existing awful thing. Uh, because it would give the, you know, sort of cosmetic appearance that something had been done when, in fact, it was so
1: weak that nothing would And have is been that done. the U.S. Freedom Act? That's the U.S. Freedom Act, correct. We have Marty back uh, in the queue, so if it's okay, let me sure. get him on the air in the few minutes we have left. Hi, Marty. Good morning. You're on the air.
5: Hi, yeah. Yeah. Um i i got in i turned in a little bit late i managed i think I downloaded this from the from the internet it's by k l. Roberts, who specifically is behind the nSA mass surveillance program Hey, I'm an academic uh, and I teach a class at c u yes and and uh, man <laughs> this blows me away this is really good i would i do you have contact information or are you going to get written up by Peter Phillips and censored or how could I refer to this? Being an academic, I have to refer to this to, I mean, mean, how do I do, do you have, how would I refer to you, contact information or anything? I mean, I'm totally with you on this. I'm not one of your critics.
0: Well, I'm just a private citizen, so, uh, you know, I I was sort of doing this, I saw this as, as being, I guess, sort of a responsible citizen's activity on my part. So I wasn't thinking too much in terms of, you know, organizations or anything of that of that nature. But what I did do, it occurred to me at the last minute that I would get questions of this nature. So I created a meetup called the Task Force on Democratic Sovereignty. Okay. Uh, it's a meetup organization. And I posted the white paper there. Okay. Um, I also, Actually,
5: I, found, I just found it by searching for it. Uh, okay. My, my, I think I have it. It's
0: 52
5: yeah. pages long. Yeah, um, that's correct. Yeah. Very it. well done. It looks very, I mean, I have, of course, I haven't read the whole thing. Well, but...
1: KG News is going to post it on its uh, news site as well news.kgnu.org.
5: Okay, um, I, this this seems to me ideal. You said Peter Phillips is involved I mean, or it knows about this. This would be great for Project Censored.
0: It it would be, but I have no idea what his intentions are with respect to it. But I am relieved at least that he knows about it because you know Project Censored is the only organization that's done any reporting in this in this arena. And by this arena, what I mean is. You know who specifically is responsible? Who are the individuals who exactly? The yeah, responsible.
5: how did you uh, how did you do this? I mean, I mean, um, <laughs> I just do you have any hints on I how you research? i just gonna have to kill do? you if he
4: tells you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Well, uh,
0: uh, some years ago, I happened on a book by William Domhoff called "Who Who Roles America," and he's a sociologist who studies power. And one of the things that he mentioned in there was that sociologists make use of social networking software. And so I looked into that, and I found a, a very affordable package that I purchased for myself. And I just started plugging data into it initially. Um, you know, who who are these people? What are these organizations? What's the history of them? Where are they located geographically and so forth?
1: Well, that's an interesting – you have an interesting uh, uh, plotting, too, of uh, just geographical location of a lot of these yes. organizations. That are within yeah. blocks of each other, yes. all of them.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that one of the most startling geographical uh, revelations of this analysis was that all of the headquarters of the corporate media, and by this I mean the television media, are situated within a one-mile radius of the Council on Foreign Relations, um, as um, as is the Manhattan Institute, um, as and the primary you know, Rockefeller residence is, is right in the center of the of the of, of this, the beehive of the beehive, right? Uh, and and of course, you know, um, the Rockefellers are the organiza- organization behind the Council on Foreign Relations. So, uh, I mean, it's very it's very peculiar that you know the Manhattan Institute, all of the uh, headquarters of the broadcast media, um, Rockefeller, which is you know the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the Business Roundtable. I mean, they're all there at at, at the very tip of Manhattan. Uh, within walking distance of one another.
1: Marty, thanks so much for your oh, yeah, uh, comment. Yeah, th- and, uh, thank,
5: you, thank you for doing this, uh,
1: Mr. Got, Roberts. You it's got that's close. fantastic. You're thanks. welcome. Thank you. And uh, we are coming up on the end of our program. I want to announce that Jared Polis, Congressman Jared Polis, will be live on KGNU this coming Thursday at 8.35 in the morning. You can ask him about his position on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, I want to thank Ken Roberts so much for uh, his time and and sharing his paper with us. As I said, we will post that on KGNU's news site. It's called uh, Who Specifically is Behind the NSA Mass Surveillance Program. Um, and again, the meetup group that you have started is called the uh,
0: Task Force on Democratic Sovereignty. Sovereignty. And thanks for having me on, Liz. I really appreciate oh, the opportunity. It's a real
1: pleasure, Ken, and thank you so much. You're As, very uh, we did not even. Uh, come close to covering all of it but but the story is out there and the connections are there and um it does give listeners uh, some really fascinating context to absorb the rest of the news that's going on because all of all of these things tend to go through these groups so thank you so much thanks to Ava for handling the phones and to our callers Dave McIntyre's in the studio stay tuned for the morning sound alternative coming your way at 9 30 for KGNU I'm Liz Lane Talk,
3: talk show,
5: talk back,
3: talk radio,
5: talk your talk,
3: walk your talk,
5: KGNU talk,
3: call in,
5: call in and talk,
3: call in and connect,
5: connections,
1: Friday mornings at
5: 830 on KGNU.
3: morning yes it's friday morning it's time for the morning sound alternative this is dave mcintyre here with you until noon bringing you lots of good music some tickets to give away things to let you know about on a beautiful friday morning my fancy car this morning said it was 68 coming in here and uh after all the rain we've had, this is the, yesterday was the first day without rain in Lyons in weeks. I don't know about your neighborhood, but boy, it's been raining, raining, raining. But anyway, everything's green <laughs> and time for our plant sale this weekend. I'm going to start off this morning with a couple of, I'm going to feature a couple of uh, CDs this morning. One from the wonderful slide player, Sally Van Meter, and uh, the other one from uh Wonderful singer-songwriter Jeff Finlan. Sally's put out an album with a few friends uh, here with Led uh, Capana and uh, Jerry O'Byrne, Johnny Dickinson. Um, It's essentially slide, beautiful slide guitar music. And uh, this should put you in a good mood to start off uh, a beautiful Friday In the Boulder Valley. Uh, This is one that Sally calls Hard Times. Come Again, No More. And this is with uh, Led Kapana. Sally Van Meter.